Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last and you are listening to Beyond Synth. This is episode 101. Yeah, I guess, am I going to say 101? I didn't know if I was going to say 101. No, 101 sounds cooler. Thanks for tuning into the show. I uh, got a lot of nice uh, feedback for episode 100 because I know a lot of you guys wanted Laserhawk on the show and uh, we did the Laserhawk show. So a lot of people are happy about that and that's cool. But we're all moving forward now with episode 101 and a fresh Beyond Synth era. There's nothing fresh, but it's going to be the same show. I don't know what <laughs> Actually, no, there's going to be some new segments that uh, we're going to be announcing in uh, the next few weeks, I think. But uh, we'll worry about that later. On the show today is Scandroid. And uh, Scandroid's a cool guy, and it was a fun interview. He's a busy dude. He's got uh, lots of shit on the go. And we're going to listen to some music. And we're going to uh, do some segments here. I know uh, Junk Mail Jeff, you know, it's been like a month since we've done the junk email segment. And I know he's uh, he's missing that. And uh, what else? And I got some mail to read and stuff. I'm going to be changing up the Patreon segment a little bit. No need to be alarmed, but uh, it's so cool that so many people are donating to the show. And it means a lot to me, but it also means that that segment is becoming a little unwieldy. So I am coming up with a solution to shorten it. And uh, I'll talk about that in a bit. But how about this? Let's listen to a song, because that's what we do here. We listen to songs. This is a track by Dream Fiend, and this is the Bootleg System's main theme. That's from a video game.
And that was Dream Fiend with the Bootleg Systems main theme. And that's cool. Bootleg Systems is a game. I'm just looking at Steam right now. Bootleg Systems is a cyberpunk first-person shooter and puzzle platformer. The game features a single-player immersive storyline, a retro sci-fi universe, and a game-changing clone gun trademark. And it looks cool. It's got that night neon kind of look, you know, like black walls with like neon beams around it and stuff. It looks like you solve puzzles with some sort of thing called the clone gun, which is trademarked. Anyway, that looks cool. And, uh, and that song was by Dream Fiend. So that was, um, that was that. I don't usually do that much, uh, <laughs> research into a track, but I was curious as to what bootleg systems was. How about this? Let's go to the mail sack. <laughs> Alright, this was a message from Ivan, possibly Yvonne, as you'll see. Hey Andy, my name is Ivan, and I'm from Belarus. So that's the thing, so if, if someone's from Belarus and their name is Ivan, is it Yvonne over there? If my knowledge of Rocky Four has taught us anything, but I know very little about Belarus. So where were we? Okay, he says, I listen to your podcast every day, and I love the way you run the show. I don't know how you're listening every day, unless you're just listening to the same episodes over and over again. Either way, I'm cool with it. I recently discovered synthwave scene after watching Drive and Kung Fury movies. Your show helps me a lot to find more of awesome music and to improve my English skills. It might be a good idea to add a new topic for your show to inform about news from synthwave scene. Anyways, thanks again for a great show, Andy. Sorry about my bad grammar. Well, that's okay, buddy. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. Uh, like, we say Ivan over here, but I know some people say Ivan, like Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. Yeah, I'm always looking for new ideas for segments for the show. Although when it comes to synthwave news, I feel like there's other avenues that might be more appropriate. Because, of course, we only do this show once a week. I record it several days or I tried to record it several days before it airs, but <laughs> if this season's been any indication, I'm recording this show like moments before it uh, has to be aired. But uh, the only issue is I feel like by the time I release stuff, it's already behind. I mean, especially with the interviews, like I record interviews with artists, you know, weeks, sometimes months in advance of when they actually air. And so sometimes I take out the time-sensitive stuff, because they'll be like, anyway, my new single just dropped, and meanwhile, I air the episode like five months later. So I just feel like there's blogs you can go to, sites that uh, cover synthwave news that might be a little bit more up-to-date. I can think of Vailingo is one. I mean, there's there's tons. I'm saying Vailingo because he sponsors the show. Because uh, <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's the kind of guy I am. Anytime it's uh, self-serving, I'm uh, fine with it. Uh, let's listen to another track. Thanks for the letter, by the way, dude. Uh, if you have a letter and you want to write into the mail sack, you can contact me on Twitter. You can contact the Beyond Synth SoundCloud page. You can contact the Beyond Synth Facebook page. So that's facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast, soundcloud.com slash beyond hyphen synth, and at Andy Last on Twitter. So any one of those ways you can get a hold of me. If you have a mail sack question, just title the message mail sack. That's also the same way you can submit tracks if you're an artist. Uh, just uh, contact me anyway and just say you got some music for me and I'll listen to it. Anyways, 
Here is a cool track, which I dug. This is Furniture, although it's spelled F-U-R-N-I-T-E-U-R. So I don't know if they want it pronounced like Furniture. Maybe I'll ask them one of these days. Anyways, this track is called Swimming.
And that was Furniture with the track Swimming off the Perfect Lavender album. And that's a cool track. I dig that uh, lady's voice. Sounds nice. Still don't quite know if it's pronounced Furniture or Furniture. Furniture. (laughs) I tried to do sort of a blend of the two as I came back from the track. Did I succeed? Anyways, um, this one's for you, Jeff Harrington. We are going to open up the junk email folder it has been it's covered in dust right now because of how little i've uh, been going to this but this is of course where i read uh, email that comes into my junk email folder because it's always fucking ridiculous and here we go This is from the United Nations and in brackets the UN. Debt Reconciliation Department, Geneva, Switzerland. Chairman Committee on Foreign Contract and Inheritance Fund Payment Notification. From United Nations and USA Government, Sir Adams Johnson. (laughs) That's just what it says at the top of the email. It's like the most incoherent. Like, so who sent this letter? Some sort of reconciliation department from the United Nations in Geneva. But then it goes on to say... Chairman Committee on Foreign Contract and Inheritance Fund Payment Notifications from United Nations and USA Government. (laughs) Amazing. Attention beneficiary, USA Government, World Bank, and United Nations Organization official have approved to pay you part payment of your inheritance fund valued of $45.5 million. Well, that's a step up. Usually they're only offering $5.5 million, so this is new. Forty-five is pretty sweet. The British Prime Minister, in conjunction with USA Government, World Bank, and United Nations Organization, do hereby give this irrevocable approval order with this release code GNC3480109 in your favor for your contract entitlement and your inheritance fund, which you have not received yet. Now it was approved by the World Bank that your contract slash inheritance fund should be released through Cooperative Bank London. Normally I can follow these things, but I don't follow this one. I don't know who's sending it. Now it's the Prime Minister in conjunction with the USA government. How you want to receive your fund? Either by ATM card or wire transfer? Can you provide any of your bank account details for the transfer of your fund without delay? Now this is where this one gets weird because, uh, they just start rattling off a bunch of codes. Now your new payment, United Nations approval number, UN8685P, White House approved number, WH84CV, reference number, 38484021, allocation number, 6753322, password number, 337331, pin code, 229-74, and your certificate of merit payment number, 102. There seem to be really long codes for everything else, but when it comes to merit, the code is uh, relatively small, so I guess they don't hand out too much merit. Release code number 0763. Immediate Cooperative Bank Telex confirmation number 1113433. Secret code number XXTN093. Having received these vital payment number, therefore you are qualified now to receive and confirm your payment with the Cooperative Bank London immediately within the next 
72 hours. As a matter of fact, you're required to deal and communicate only with Mr. Edward Coleman, head of the Telex Department of Cooperative Bank London, with the help of monetary team from the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, which is our official remitting bank. Email Mr. Edward Coleman at cooperative101 at outlook.com for immediate release of your contract slash inheritance slash award winning claim. Be informed. So <laughs> it's $45 million and they don't even know what it is. You'd think you would do just a bit of research if you had $45 million and someone can't even answer the question like, so is this like an inheritance like, or a award or something or a fucking contract? Like, uh, it's just in the big fucking cash warehouse. Then, of course, they ask for all my details, name, where I live and all that shit. And my favorite, <laughs> the number 10, is a copy of your international passport and driver's license. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Your personal contact communication code with Mr. Edward Coleman is Cooperative 209. How many fucking codes? <laughs> okay, this is amazing because I don't even know who I'm going to give these codes to. How many codes was that? Okay, that was like 13 codes. <laughs> and they never once said who I give these codes to. <laughs> So if you want my $45.5 million, you're welcome to have it. You're going to have to jump through a few hoops, and you're going to have to contact Mr. Edward Coleman, but the best of luck to you. And now let's listen to another track. This is Alex with the track Youth, featuring Rachel McAlpine.
And that was Alex with the track Youth featuring Rachel McAlpine. And uh, that's a cool track, man. I dig it. You can check them out. There's like a sketch picture of a lady on the cover, just her face. I don't know if that's supposed to be Rachel McAlpine or just some made-up lady, but uh, it's an eye-catching cover, and uh, that's all I gotta say about it, man. Alex, cool stuff. So, let's go to the Patreon, and I will um, discuss what's going on with that. So as you know, Beyond Synth has a Patreon. Patreon is a way you can donate to the show. Patreon is like Kickstarter. It's basically a way you can uh, donate money, except you donate a monthly amount. So some people donate, you know, just a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. People who donate higher uh, get special rewards. So, you know, the people who donate 10 bucks a month, I make them special thank you videos, custom thank you videos that you can see on the Beyond Synth YouTube page. So the thing is, there is, and I'm super thankful for this. I mean, there's now over like 70 supporters of the show and the problem is it takes like 15 minutes just to read this list of names and I just cannot do that every week so when I first started the Patreon basically I said you know the $1 patrons get a one time shout out the $5 ones get you know more regular shout outs the $10 ones is like shout out every episode you know that sort of thing so what I'm going to start doing is I will do the entire list once a month and in the weeks in between I'm just going to be doing the $5 and up donors in the Patreon segment and also new donors and then the the $5 plus and then at the end of the month I'll do the whole I'll do the whole list okay cuz I I do want to make sure I I do thank all of you guys at the same time the Patreon segment cannot be 20 minutes a show of just me reading names like that's it's going to frustrate people. I mean, it probably already does, but uh, for the people who actually donate, I know they like it, so it's got to reach that balance, you know? Anyways, today I'd like to thank Greeley for donating to Beyond Synth, new uh, Beyond Synth donor. Thanks, buddy, for your support. You're a cool guy. Your images of some guy wearing a cape with some sort of paper crown, and I appreciate your support. And then we're going to move on to my $5 donors. There's Kai and Saloya, X Riz music joe and lando roman devious raven bobby b john eternal dougie fresh lame robot mono memory florence bullock matthew lister simon norberg Velingo, new gat ninja mike shima ah fuck I swear that Mike actually finally told me how to pronounce it, and I don't remember if it was on the YouTube page or on the SoundCloud, and now I forget what he said. <laughs> I'll get it right next week. Uh, the Rossconian, Night Raptor, Stu M., Ross Pentland, Dana Jean Phoenix, Tristan Waits. We got some new donors here. Uh, Raul Pud. <laughs> I get it. And then there's uh, Aled. Is that how you say your name? A-L-E-D. Aled. Aled, 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 Raw Pud. <laughs> Anyways, guys, uh, thanks for being new donors to Beyond Synth. It means a lot to me. Raw Pud and Aled or Aled, feel free to let me know how to pronounce your name, dude. It's important to me that I get it right. And then there's Ethan Hennings. And of course, my favorite, the donation of the beast. 
These are people who donate $6.66 a month, imbuing the show with the terrifying powers of Satan. There's Hellroy, Lucas Ceballos, Blake Peterson, and Carm. Thank you guys for your donation of the beast. And now my lovely $10 donors. There's Jake Last, Trevor Resnick, Colin Bennett, and Fraser, you fucking... <laughs> Fraser likes to make up funny ones, so every time I... Every time I load up Patreon, it's like some new stupid name, and this time it's uh, some fake-looking Eastern European name, which I'm going to try and pronounce. I would like to thank Grizz... Grizzigors... Brejciszczykwitz. Grigors Brejciszczykwitz. Thanks, Grigors. Thanks, Victor Garza, Ezra Van Dam, Winfield, Willow, Nathaniel Rivera, Polly Digital, and we got some new $10 donors this week. We got the Angry Rambo Show. Thanks, dude. I know you've been saying some uh, some kind words there on the YouTube channel, and uh, thank you very much for your support. The Angry Rambo Show. So check that out. And then there's Joshua Evanson. Thanks, dude, for your support. You guys are all really cool. Cool people, and uh, your support means a lot to me. And then there's slunks, fucking slunks. <laughs> what a word, slunks. <laughs> anyway, thanks, slunks. <laughs> fucking slunks. That's like a great thing I would like yell at somebody if I was pissed off at them. You know, when someone's being a bastard, just like fuck you, you fucking slunks. <laughs> anyway, and then there's Greg Smith. And another new donor this week, there's Ashley Keegan. Thank you, Ashley, for your support. You're a cool lady, and you're in good company amongst all these other cool people. But thank you very much for supporting the show. Supporting? Did I just say that? <laughs> uh, it does mean a lot to me, and I uh, thank you very much. And, of course, Jacob Wick. And finally, the king of the Pattersons this week, Chris Dance with a crazy $25 donation. So thanks, buddy. And thanks, everybody, for donating to Beyond Synth. I appreciate it. So let's listen to another track. This is The Foreign with the track In the Cold of the Night featuring Confrontational. Dreams come to 
And that was The Foreign with the track In the Cold of the Night featuring Confrontational and that is from the Around Every Corner album. And that's a cool song. I dig it. So how about this? Let's now go to my conversation with Clayton, a.k.a. Scandroid. You want to just start? Sure, you start. It's your show, man. Call the shots. <laughs> All right. Well, I am here with Scandroid, a.k.a. Clayton. How's it going? Good. I'm still alive, and uh, I'm going to take that as a positive thing. So, Whoa, what, did something happen to you? No, no. I'm, I'm not dead, so that's, oh, yeah. that's good news. <laughs> Oftentimes when Things people... Things are good. Okay, okay. <laughs> when people say stuff like that, I assume it's like you just had like a near-death experience or something. <laughs> Every day, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I saw, you know, I was, uh, sometimes I do research, sometimes I don't. In this particular instance, I saw that you had so much, you like you were doing question and answer things. You have a YouTube channel, you've got several different projects, and you had a lot of these videos where you were sort of fielding like fan questions and stuff. Yep. And I didn't want to get overwhelmed because I started watching one of those. And then I thought, oh shit, if I go down this rabbit hole, I'm going to be hesitant to ask anything in fear that you've already talked about it on one of your videos. Oh, yeah, no problem. So I've decided then to watch nothing. That's the way my brain would work. If I was like, oh, someone already asked him about his keyboard setup, then I'd be like, well, I'm not going to talk about that because he's already said something. Sure. So basically, I'm just coming in here fresh, and uh, I don't really know too much of the, the Clayton biography, although I've just been informed by James Rhodes, who I've been chatting with, to not base anything on Wikipedia. Now that makes me want to go to Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's full of just errant information. It's like, I, you know, <laughs> Wikipedia is great because anybody, including you, can just go there and put in anything you want. You could say anything you want. I mean, there's a bunch of uh, factual stuff up there, but there's a lot of stuff that's just, uh, it's just hypothesized. It's not, it's not accurate. And you know what? For me, the less people know or the more they think they know, the less they actually know. And I'm cool with that. I, I'm, I'm more of a private guy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to think this is my birthday or I'm that old or this is the town I was born in, then you go ahead and believe that it's not right, but that's cool. You can, <laughs> you can just think that. So yeah, we just, we just tell people if you have a question to ask me, I'll answer it, but <laughs> don't, don't base it on wiki. What's always fun though, too, when you have uh, like a following that will uh, create or mythologize around you. I mean, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I, I it's a, a little weird, man, because, um, I didn't grow up that way. I was never really starstruck. I never really cared about that. People are people. And so I view myself very much the same way. And it's when I meet someone and they're acting like I'm like they're afraid of me or something or they're just, you know, they're nervous about meeting me. It's like I'm just I'm just a dude. Same as you. So it's it's weird for me still to have people wanting to know personal things about my life. It's like I never got into music to be I never got into it to be a celebrity or for to really have anybody care about anything else I did except make music. So it's yeah. still it's still it's been years and years, really decades, and it's still a little weird for me to to kind of swallow that but yeah 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 it is what it is well i mean it's cool too i mean i know um i mean in the synthwave scene there's a lot of dudes who uh have like costumes and things and so anonymity is important for uh you know lots of people i've chatted with and some of those uh people solve those problems by wearing skull masks and hoods and things yeah 
but uh, you you haven't gone the mask route. No, I haven't. I've never felt the need. What I did is early on in my career, I just changed my name for every album. So I, I was different people all over. I would do a project and I would be, uh, I did a project called Argyle Park and I was three, I was three people on an album. I basically did the album myself with a friend and uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to just be these three people and so i made up three aliases yeah <laughs> and, and to me that it was a shield it was a protection against if, if people hated the album or they wanted to tear it apart it didn't matter because nobody really knew i was involved and i was totally fine with that so is clayton like does that have any basis to do with you at all or is that just a completely made up thing clayton no clayton is my name that's okay right, that's right. what it says says it on my driver's license so i yeah. think the government <laughs> at least the government the government knows me as clayton so that that's good news <laughs> so um we're gonna we're gonna focus on Scandroid today, but obviously you've like you just touched on you had uh, a bunch of projects, and I think your three main ones right now is something called Cell Dweller and Circle of Dust. Is that correct? Yeah, Circle of Dust was the beginning. That was like my industrial, like my eighties, nineties industrial project, which that's really where I got my first record deal, and then uh, Cell Dweller kind of followed, and that was that's what most people know me as and know me for uh, i've done a lot of stuff in like film and tv and video games and toured the world and released lots of records and then scandroid is just something that i've been wanting to do since the 80s since i was doing circle of dust i was really a big new wave fan i just didn't i had no idea how to produce it i didn't have any gear i just knew that all my new wave friends were getting way more chicks than i was i was a metalhead you know and i was like <laughs> there's got to be something in here so you know all these years later i have a fairly nice studio and i know a lot more than i used to and and it just kind of made sense for me to start exploring i didn't even know about the synth wave scene per se i just well, i've wanted to make 80s music 80s new wave for a long long time i have a lot of demos over a decade of just ideas and then I find it just turns out that the time I started doing that I realized there were other artists actually in this underground that were doing something similar with this sound. It's an interesting sort of scene too because it's very spread out all over the place and there have been certain catalysts for it. Uh, Drive, the movie Drive uh, for mm-hmm. some reason was a big one yep. that just yep. awoke a whole bunch of people. Um, but yeah, it has been this sound that's always been around a bit. Like for me personally, I use the term synthwave pretty broadly. A lot of people who, you know, are in this quote unquote scene don't really even consider themselves synthwave, you know, the way that electronic music has all these crazy niches yep. all over the place. Yep. For me, what it was, was I've always liked electronic music. And in the 90s, I listened to a lot of industrial only because the electronic music, like, you know, in the 80s, the synth sounds, there was like, you know, like these fat bass lines and, uh, you know, these fat, uh, uh, like, chords and things that just sounded so awesome. And in the 90s, the dance music sort of became kind of like tinny sounding. Yeah. So to me, the electronic music that I liked... I was finding more of it in the industrial scene, you know, like with the Nine Inch Nails and things like that. Had a little more balls, you know? Yeah, yeah, because I liked that. And, and you know, I would listen to dance music and then sometimes like trance and stuff towards the end just because it had melody. Mm-hmm. And that to me was the the thing that I loved about Synthwave when it finally sort of came around is it was electronic music, but it um, it has a strong melody, like a focus on like nice melodies, basically, whereas a lot yeah. of the techno music or electronic music, you know, like dubstep and things like that seem to be more about just the beat and more about, uh, you know... Sound just, design, basically. Right, yeah. yeah. It's just and, about sounds, yep. And for me, I need that hook. I need that, uh, just a nice hook uh, to get me Agreed. something to sing, you know? Yep. And that's why I approached the Scandroid album the way 
way it did. Like I, I knew that a lot of the, like you said, the quote unquote synth wave scene, as broad as that is, or whatever outrun, whatever, whatever everyone was calling it. I don't think anybody knew for a while what to call it, but mm-hmm. whatever that scene was, there was it, it was mostly instrumental, and I was like, I love the sound of this, but I still wanted to make the stuff that I listened to in the '80s. Like I wanted to be. Depeche Mode and Tears for Fears and The Cure and the stuff that I love. So, I, I mean, to me, those were songs. Those were melodic. Those were things that you would hum to yourself mm-hmm. as you're falling asleep or listening to as you're falling asleep and, and, and kind of like remembering the lyrics and that kind of thing. So I did approach this much more like a new wave band, so to speak, as opposed to just a vibe. Like I wasn't, I didn't want to just make a bunch of instrumental 80 sounding music and that, and that be it. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm definitely about writing songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's listen to one of them now, man. And then we'll uh, keep talking. So this is uh, Salvation Code by Scandroid.
And that was Salvation Code by Scandroid. And I'm here with Scandroid right now. And uh, that's a cool song. Just to your point there, before we listen to the track, I mean, that's the thing that I've found with this sort of synthwave scene, because there's there's almost like a divide. It's a very sort of nerdy thing, you know, when you get down. And there's the people who like the instrumental stuff, and, you know, that's all they want to listen to. And then there's the other people who like the vocal tracks. And for me, I've found, I like everything, and I just find music has always been really important to me for different reasons. Like, I always see the, the purpose of different types of music. And when I work, when I'm writing, doing stuff like that, I prefer instrumental tracks. Uh-huh. When I find myself walking around, uh, you know, out in the city doing things, uh, that's when the vocal tracks. And I always find I gravitate more towards vocal tracks just because, again, they have that hook. And for some of the artists in the scene, there is a sort of sound, and sometimes it can sound a bit generic, and sometimes it's it's the vocal that elevates an otherwise, where you listen to a track and you can't tell what artist made it. Uh, it's that vocal that often adds that stamp of just like, yeah. here's who it is, you know? Yep, uh, agreed. I mean, you know, that goes for all, really almost any any style of music, but that is the trappings of uh, when, you, when you get sucked into wanting to be within a specific genre and really trying to sound, like, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but EDM is very much that. EDM is just, it's become a parody of itself. Everybody pretty much is doing the same exact thing. It all sounds the same. Mm-hmm. And if you're fortunate, I mean, really, EDM has now become pop music because the stuff that's really popping and is popular is because they have a vocal hook that people can latch onto. An instrumental track is just not enough anymore because it just sounds like everybody else, you know? Right. I think the thing with Synthwave was there's uh, also a lot of inspiration from things like video games as well. That's why the, as you said before, you know, when people didn't know if to call it Outrun, I say Synthwave now, but I get a lot of pushback from that because I use it to describe everything. Okay. And, you know, obviously there's artists like uh, Dance with the Dead who are kind of more just metal, Yeah. but they have, you know, this baseline sort of synth stuff running through their music so I still call them synthwave even though they don't even call themselves synthwave but I, I still just use that term very broadly sure to me has always meant this um, sort of nostalgia for like 80s things and whether that means just taking instrumental things that are reminiscent of movie scores like Vangelis and you know uh, Miami Vice and shit like that oh man great stuff yeah but then sometimes people take that they add modern beats I still consider that synthwave. You know, sometimes people do everything completely analog. They want to capture as much of that retro feel as possible. And I just, my brain just can't hold different genres anymore, especially you know, when it came to electronic music. And it was like, you know, this is jungle because the beat is... Yes. Right. And I'm like, you can't fucking base an entire genre based on the beat of your song. It makes no sense to me. There are some subgenres where it came down to the sound of your kick drum and your snare drum. That that. It's like Fidget House or it's it's Deep House. It's like I, I you know what? And and that's the thing. The reason why I have three projects is because musically they're pretty radically different. And, and, and it's because of what you just said. I feel like music should just be something you like or don't like. I don't think you should like music or dislike music because it's called a certain thing or it fits in a certain genre. I think make whatever you want and listen to whatever you want and, 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 and genres be damned. I mean, at this, at this point, I mean, I remember I was a child of the eighties and I remember death to disco and it was metal versus disco. And mm. later it became like new wave and, and, and metal. And it was, it was all these, you know, like the new wave kids versus the metal kids. And it was like, who, who cared? I like break the break dancers and the hip hop kids. And it's like, so what man? It's like today, none of that matters. It's like, 
kids are listening from from hip hop and they'll go right to a metal track into a pop song. It doesn't make any difference as long as they like it. That's all that really matters. And I feel like that should be the same when you make music. It should be the same. You just make something that you think is cool. Well, also, I find whenever people are specifically into one thing, uh, maybe this reflects poorly on me, but they become cartoon characters to me. Like when I see someone who's like only listens to metal and they wear the costume, you know, like the metal costume yeah, yeah, or it, it, the same yeah. thing for like goths or whatever. It's like they almost don't feel like fully fleshed out people because I'm like, because for me, I've always just I've liked a wide range of things. And I just like you say, like I have no the idea of music versus other music is ridiculous. I mean, when I grew up, you know, my parents would have like fucking vinyls of like ABBA and the Bee Gees and like Leonard Cohen. I'd be listening to fucking uh, you know, industrial music and Depeche Mode and whatever, like if, and the same for movies and for all that stuff. I mean, for me personally, like Scarface might be like my favorite film, but my favorite show is like classic Doctor Who. I mean, those two things couldn't be more different. Right. Exactly. You know, it's just like, you know, you like what you like kind of thing. I mean, and and that's what I loved. I mean, like, you know, 80 shows, you're talking about TV shows like Knight Rider, man. It's like, that theme, the theme song to Knight Rider was like really important to me. And like, mm. you know, even things like the Miami Vice theme, it's like those opening songs, like those permeated who I was as a kid. It's like, I loved that. And movies, you know, like, I mean, to me, one of the one of the best scores of all time, in my opinion, is the Blade Runner score that Van Gelis did. I mean, it's just... Yeah beautiful it's beautiful it's just timeless and i you know i can't wait to see blade runner 2049 i hope they don't blow it but i'm having faith that the score will live up to his legacy but you know those sounds man it really had a lot to do with why i wanted to create even the music that i made outside of scandroid like it Mm -hmm. just influenced how i how i developed as a musician the sound of the 80s yeah i think too and this is where i i feel like i'm an old man (laughs) i feel like i'm that guy that goes things are better in my day but there were certain things because like I'm I'm born in the 80s so 80s cartoons 80s TV shows and stuff like that and I do notice because I've got kids now and I see the shows that they watch and the theme songs were better and I say this all the time but I mean it like it's this isn't a nostalgia thing like if you fucking you know had to pit the 80s against the now and just say like look at these cartoon theme songs look at these television shows even if the show sucked i mean even with cartoons you could have a cartoon that was terrible but they would have this epic theme song that almost feels like half the budget was just blown on the title sequence yeah right the animation was always so much better in the title sequence than the actual show it doesn't matter what the show if it's like silver hawks or something like the <laughs> intro is like flying through space and spinning around and shooting beams then you watch the oh, actual yeah. show and it's like three yep. frames a second animation. He Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like He Man, same thing. It's like, oh, Skeletor and She Ra and all these people. Oh, this is going to be so cool. Yeah. Although, having gone back uh, recently, because obviously when you're a kid, it's like, you know, I watch the boy shows or whatever. Then obviously She Ra was like the girl one. But yep. having gone back, I think She Ra's theme is so much stronger than He Man's. <laughs> like the, the actual She Ra theme is great. And so is Gem. Gem was another one. Like oh, as yeah. a kid, I'm just yep. like I can't, I can't like Gem because it's a girl show. But like go, watching it now, man, Josie and the Pussycats. I remember that show. I used to love that show too. And uh, <laughs> Scooby Doo, and you know, it's like I could sing most of these, most of these themes to to this day. I think it's just easier, man. It's like we figured out television. We figured out what works, and there's a lot more people involved, so it's much easier for them to kind of cookie cutter. Uh, back then, they, you know, they didn't really, they didn't really know. I mean, really, I just saw a post this week about how 
the title sequence of movies and television has come a long way. Like, you know, think about Magnum P.I. and even Knight Rider for that matter. Like those shows, the intro was really just B-roll of what they had shot for the show and then they just put music over it and they had just Tom Selleck whipping out in his car across the lawn and shredding, tearing up the lawn and it was all just B-roll, man. There (laughs) wasn't a story there per se Mm -hmm. And, and it really has developed and now there's a purpose and sometimes the actual title sequence is way better than the actual show itself but we figured it out which also has made it I don't know maybe people just don't care as much because it's easier to kind of crank that stuff out I'm not really sure no it's difficult to say because I'm I'm a big fan of title sequences and now it's almost like there's there's two things going on either you've got the HBO sort of model where they go all out and you've got these big you know like one minute long title sequences Game of Thrones things like that and they put a lot of work yeah. yeah, the True Detective one was great as well. And then you've got the reverse of the like the no title sequence, where there's a lot of shows where you just have like it just flashes a word and that's it, or the title sequence is like ten seconds long and it's just sort of a they play a bunch of gibberish sounds and then it just has words on the screen. I mean, I'm kind of a fan of that. Let's get into the show, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to tell us a story <laughs> with the with the title sequence, and let's just get into the let's get into the program. Yeah. <laughs> Let's um let's listen to another track here, man. Yeah, sure. So this is uh, this was a cool one. This was called uh, Aphelion, and uh, it's by Scandroid.
was Aphelion by Scandroid. What does that word mean? Does that mean something? Yes, it does. It's actually a, a term that relates to when the sun is farthest from the earth. It's actually, ironically, summertime for us in the northern hemisphere. When the sun is the furthest distance from the earth, it's actually the warmest here on earth. I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is, but that is the way it works. And perihelion is the exact opposite. And knowing that term, it, it ended up being a very cool name for a female character in my story because I, I tend to write across all of my projects. I can't help but tie audio and visuals together. I've, I've always created music to score an imaginary movie I've had in my head of some sort. So just by default, when I've when I create albums, I just end up telling a story whether I intend to or not. So Scandroid, there is an entire story within the Scandroid debut album. And there is a female character and her name is Aphelion. Do you jump from different projects? Like what puts you in the mood? Because obviously the studio is the same, I'm assuming. Yep. So when you sit down, do you sit down and consciously say, now I'm going to do... Scandroid, or is it like you take a cup of coffee and when you do that, it just puts you in a fucking circle of dust mood? I mean, how does how does that work? Um, you know, it depends on the cycle of where I'm at. If it's like, oh, I've got three weeks to finish the new Scandroid album, then I I force myself into having to work on that. So I, I'm juggling these projects around. Like I, I'm just wrapping up work on the new Transformers film right now. I'm doing all the synth programming and guitar work and some drums and stuff for the for the score for that movie. And I have some other projects on deck, some other movies. So I, I do my musical projects in between other projects that I do. And I, it's all just about scheduling. But my favorite time in my life is when I can walk into the studio and be like, what mood am I in? And actually use a piece of gear or a movie I saw or something I read online can inspire me to be like, oh man, I'm in a nostalgic 80s mood right now. I'm going to pull up an analog synth and I'm going to start working on a Scandroid thing. Now, unfortunately, those don't last for very long periods of time because then, like I said, I get into like, okay, I need to wrap up this particular album. So I have to actually force myself to be like, okay, I'm working on Scandroid right now. Mm -hmm. I do have different tool sets that I use. So when I'm working on Scandroid, that is when I am cracking out all my old analog drum machines, um, my analog synthesizers. I have a huge modular uh, synthesizer set up, although I didn't really use them a lot for Scandroid. I ended up using just a lot of analog synthesizers. So I pretty much don't use a lot of soft synths in the box. You know, like uh, it would be a lot easier to do, to be honest, but there is a sound that hardware has that software cannot emulate. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a lot of it. So I, I ended up using a lot of that for the Scandroid album. And it was a lot of fun. So when you say you you know you're working on movie projects and you say you just mentioned Transformers, do you do that as one of your band names or do you do that as just you? Yeah, just it's Clayton. I do that as Clayton. I mean generally you have to give them a first and last name so it's just Clayton Celldweller. Okay. Because sure. that's just, you know, because I have to I, they won't let me just use Clayton yeah. so <laughs> but just so that I'm I'm tying my project name to it, but yeah, it's a, it's as Clayton. Like I scored a film called The Dunes that is currently seeking distribution. So I think it should be out this year. I scored the film directly. I so I did that whole movie. And it's Clayton, a.k.a. Celldweller, basically, is how I'm credited. I mean, you mentioned having sort of like analog synths and stuff. Considering your other projects, like, were you collecting those bits of gear for those? Or was that always just your secret, I can't wait till one day I find a use for these things? Or Well, I have always found a use for them. It's just I didn't have such a great excuse. So I was a, a closet, like, New Wave fan in the 80s. I wished I could do it. A lot of my friends were, like, into New Wave. And they. I always thought they were way cooler than me. I was 
a metalhead because I knew how to play. I, I played the drums. That was my first instrument. And I understood the aggression and the anger in metal. So I learned how to play multiple instruments around that time, all self-taught. And so I could create metal. And then I moved into industrial. So my the industrial stuff was like, now I started bringing electronics into it with guitars and heavy vocals. So because of that, and because I've always wanted to make synthesizer music, I've always loved it. I was raised listening to synthesizer music like Tomita and Vangelis and people like that. My grandfather had all of these albums. I was interested in synthesizers more than guitars. I didn't even really care about guitars. It's just what I knew how to use. So I was buying synthesizers and using them on my albums. But if you listen to those early albums, they do come off a lot heavier. They're more guitar oriented than synthesizer oriented. But I did have those synths. So I started building that collection over time. And then within the last uh, maybe six or seven years, I started actually having enough money to justify really buying them deliberately as opposed to getting fortunate enough to find one at a, a pawn shop while I was on tour. I'd found out, you know, a beat up Juno 106 and a beat up Juno 60 and I'd get them fixed up. Mm. And I have two Profit 600s, you know, sequential circuit Profit 600s. These are all ones that I've gotten on tours over the years. But now I started buying modular synthesizers and going back and buying a bunch of old analog synthesizers I didn't own and now I have a, a pretty crazy collection and I have a great excuse because I use this for sound design in movies I use it in Cell Dweller like my last Cell Dweller album called End of an Empire almost all the synth sound design on that album was done using modular synthesizers so I'm using them a lot more than, and, and reaching for hardware than just software and because I have so much of it now. Would you do this stuff all from your studio? Like if you're like working on movie stuff or do you have to go someplace? No, it's, I have my own, uh, I have the spaceship. So if you look up Cell Dweller or Clayton and Studio, you'll probably see quite a few pictures of my spaceship. <laughs> so I've, I've built out a really nice a really nice place that I love to be and um, I, I, I'm completely self-sufficient. So everything you're hearing, that Scandroid album was done 100% top to bottom by me in this room pretty much or I have a couple of rooms I have a keyboard room and I have a drum room and I bounce from room to room just to get inspiration but it's all like 10 feet from my main room I think the cool thing now is and I mean obviously I mentioned uh, Dance with the Dead earlier who did a, a remix on, on yeah, your thing and, you do. know when you talk about that difference between the metal and the new wave is there is this synth scene now that is actually attracting sort of a metal crowd which is interesting because there's artists like um, Perturbator and Carpenter Brute yep. and Dance with the Dead who although I still consider them synths like you know it's, it's like electronic music when I went to the the shows because uh, they had some in, in Toronto it was like a metal crowd you know like there's this yeah. this metal audience that for some reason I think they gravitate also to the the aesthetic so like Carpenter Brute and Perturbator these are guys who like upside down crosses and satanic yep, totally. things Ghost yep. as well uh, that same yep. vibe there is also this place where those things sort of merge because like at those shows at the carpenter brute show especially too it was a healthy crowd of metal and nerds yeah and i was looking at them like oh they're there man i see the dudes who are like the synth dudes and i see the and like there's some pretty metal girls in there so that's a uh, that's something it's pretty cool right like i, I remember <laughs> like coming from the metal scene as a kid and then when i discovered industrial music i grew up in new york man i'm a new yorker mm. and so uh you know new york hardcore shows new york thrash metal shows those are pretty violent and there was a lot of people coming out of pits bloodied and busted up and when i discovered industrial music i saw Skinny Puppy on their Two Dark Park tour at Webster Hall mm. in New York. And I had never seen more people coming out of a pit 
busted up and bloody and basically unconscious than I had at a basically a synthesizer show. You had a guy, Dwayne Gotell, with surrounded by synthesizers, Kevin Keys behind basically a drum, a monster drum kit, and then there's Ogre up front with nothing but a microphone covered in blood. That's all it was, a three-piece band. <laughs> and it was there's so much energy in there. And and, mm. and and that was in the 80s and 90s. Now, even more than ever, nobody cares. It's like, they don't care if you have a guitar or not. It's like, what is the aesthetic? What is the energy that you're emitting? And like they identify with that. So metal, I think people are way less afraid to cross the styles of music, the genres of music. When I started making industrial, it was pretty rare to find anybody who was blending guitars and electronics. It was only pretty much in the industrial scene that almost that anybody was really even doing that. Now, I'm so glad for for bands like Dance with the Dead. Like I'm, I'm a fan. I mean, I I hit them up to do a remix for the Dreams of Neo Tokyo remix album that is out uh, March 30th. Ghost is on there. Dance with the Dead, Pilot, you know, Makeup and Vanity Set. There's a long list of people, uh, of remixers on that, all, all of whom I, I'm a fan of. Like, I love their sound. So I'm glad that there are artists that are out there taking risks and doing cool things and blending styles musically. Well, speaking of that, we'll uh, we'll listen to one of those remixes because I really dug the Dance with the Dead one. And uh, we'll fucking check it out, man, because it was cool. And that was a cool album as well. Great. A nice companion piece to the whole thing. But this is uh, Neo Tokyo, the Dance with the Dead remix.
And that was Neo Tokyo by Scandroid, the Dance with the Dead remix. Now, for that remix album, I remember I, I, I saw some disclaimer or something that you were putting out like a competition or something. Was that for that same thing? Or was that a different thing? No, this is completely different. This is in collaboration with New Retro Wave. So if you go to NewRetroWave.com or their YouTube channel, you'll get more information at NewRetroWave.com. But there is an open Scandroid remix contest and the prizes are, there's cash prizes and there's gear and uh, software. Some of my, uh, I have a software company and I've developed software and sample packs and there's merch merchandise and t-shirts and all, all kinds of stuff and anybody can enter and it's running for the next uh, six weeks I believe six to eight weeks you can download three songs worth of stems so that I put up th- stems for three of my songs and you can submit one remix per song so you can submit up to three remixes if you want one for each song and enter to win and you'll get featured on an official Scandroid compilation uh, an official release as well as getting promoted on the new retro wave channel amongst a bunch of other things and this runs till sometime in May I believe so yes yeah I, okay. I believe just mid, be, just because, mid-May yes. uh, when I record this show sometimes I don't get them edited for like a few weeks so I just want to make sure okay. this thing's still going yep. or else this will be a <laughs> yep. very disappointing <laughs> for people who are like no problem oh exciting a fucking uh, remix con contest and then it's over <laughs> too late yeah <laughs> but that's a cool thing what do you mean you have a software company what do you what do you do there uh, uh refractor audio is my hardware software company so i um i do sample packs so i i create a lot of cool sounds on my modular synths and my analog synths in my spaceship here put them together as packs and sell them so i, I even have guitar and bass packs of a bunch of guitar riffs and sounds that i made as well as a ton of synthesizer loops and modular kind of sounds drum beats uh, i have an instrument called transport that loads in native instruments contact the free version or the paid version so it doesn't matter uh, this is all uh, available at refractoraudio.com you can get information on all this stuff there and i am currently in development i'm developing a few hardware things so i won't say what they are yet but they are in development right now so not just musical software but musical hardware so as the president of these companies do you still just go by clayton yeah yeah it's just me yep. so is that a thing you're allowed to do or is there like secret things in the background where you still have to say who, who you actually... I always find aliases very interesting because I, there's still this business aspect where, you know, if you're like the, the head of the company or whatever, like you you must have... Yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't... I mean, I am... I own everything I do. So I've... Everything that I have and I have going on, I built with my own two hands so I can do anything I want. So yeah, Clayton's not the alias. Clayton is my name. So I... Like anything I do, I'd rather be known as Clayton, to be honest. But really, more people know me musically as Cell Dweller. And then Scandroid because it's a specific sound they may know me as Scandroid or Circle of Dust which is the the, the kind of metal like uh, industrial stuff from like the 80s and 90s but Clayton really is like you know as the heart as the owner of the hardware company it's me it's Clayton and generally when I do videos I'm announcing myself as hey this is Clayton aka Cell Dweller Scandroid Circle of Dust so I'm basically saying this is me here are my projects, but, you know, as long as you recognize one of them, I, I guess that's good enough for me, right? Talk about putting together the live shows then, because I'm getting the impression, like, when you're making this music, it's you. Right. So when you're going on the road, do you take with you people? Like, how does it work? Uh, it depends on the tour. I have I have had up to a five-piece band that I put together and toured just, like, metal clubs, which I, I really hated, all the way down to doing a one-man show where I was basically, it was basically playback, almost like half D 
DJ set, half live performers. I play guitar and sing over the and play keys over the top of uh, tracks that I produced. So it, and it was anywhere in between. I I have a live Blu-ray uh, or video. You can rent it on Vimeo or YouTube called Live Upon a Black Star, and it was a tour I did around my Wish Upon a Black Star album, which was much more electronically oriented. That album. So I I reimagined the live show. I reimagined all the songs in an even more electronic way, and I brought one of the artists signed to my label, Fixed Brett, who is Blue Stolly. His project is Blue Stolly. I brought him out with me. So the two of us basically were Cell Dweller Live, and we played multiple instruments the entire night. So there were two drum sets on stage, guitars, keys, vocals, like, and we mixed and matched everything throughout the whole show. And there were custom video throughout the entire 90-minute set. So I shot all custom video that was actually playing on the screens, which included me playing drums and other instruments that you weren't seeing played live. So if you heard live drums, there wasn't a live drummer on stage per se, right. but you saw somebody up on the screens playing those drums in real time. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, it was a pretty ambitious. So if you see the video, the uh, the Blu-ray, Live Upon a Black Star. Yeah, that's a good workaround. That is... I, that's, I never even thought about that because obviously with the synthwave scene as it is, it's small and some of these artists, you know, they don't have a lot of cash to put towards like you know some exciting show and the artists that i i keep using sort of perturbator and carpenter brood as example because they're some of the bigger guys in the scene mm-hmm. they know and they've put some money into a, like a cool light show and stuff like that because obviously if your show is i'm a guy at a keyboard or a guy at a laptop it's not enough you got to do something yeah right it's and definitely when i when i see some of these people play i feel that where i go oh if only they had even just a dude on stage like i, I mean i know this sounds bad but i mean even if you had a dude on stage like miming playing like V drums or something just to give you the sense that there's this a, a band you know like you're hearing the sound yep. coming from yep. people and yep. I never thought of that idea like that's a great fucking idea like you just have things on screen that sort of give that impression yeah yeah because it's tough right I mean it's hard to tell somebody who doesn't have a lot of money he's probably getting like shit money for doing the tour saying now hey you should split that like three ways and uh get some other guys on stage if they're only making like you know like 100 bucks to do the show or something it's sort right. of it's a tough yeah. ask uh for people and and that's a neat alternative you know i've made shit money and i you know i was not independently wealthy and i, I had to do all this myself it, it, i think it just comes down to ingenuity you just need to be creative i mean if you have to grab your iphone and film yourself doing that you can do that and nobody's going to care, man. It's just all about the presentation. So, I mean, really, I did all of that that video production and put together that whole big show, but it was really on a shoestring budget. There's no record label or rich uncle who's like, you know, donating money to me, man. It's all coming out of my pocket <laughs> yeah. and it's all my time, you know, and, and, and whatever good team I can kind of bring together who understands the vision. You know, just surround yourself with good people and then just come up with creative ideas. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. And I think people will appreciate you putting that effort into a show sure yeah man that's awesome uh let's listen to another track let's do it this is a track called destination unknown by scandroid
And that was Scandroid with the track Destination Unknown. And I'm here with Scandroid right now talking about live shows and stuff. So you have a lot of shit going on. <laughs> like every two seconds yep. you're mentioning some other thing fucking I know. record label and software and like 10 different bands and doing movie shit I mean like clothing company I didn't mention that but <laughs> we, won't even, we won't even get into that <laughs> so like what do you have downtime uh very little and, and I'm really happy about that like I don't really take vacations I don't really enjoy vacations like sitting on a beach sipping a martini just, just doesn't do it for me it's just boring as fuck I just mm. I want to work I want like I I'm given whatever time I'm given in life and it's like I feel like I have a lot to do and I have a lot to say and I have limited time and you know I'm fortunate that I do something that I love to do so if I take downtime it's generally me playing with some of my Eurorack synthesizer modules or playing with a new piece of software or you know this weekend I took apart my old original Mac classic computer and I put I upgraded the RAM and I swapped out the old SCSI hard drive for an SD card like I, I'm running an old SCSI Mac from the 80s on an SD card which is <laughs> unbelievable I can't believe I'm seeing this work and I'm resurrecting the software that I used to program all my first albums on and seeing it for the first time in 20 years it's amazing so that's what I do for downtime because I still feel like I'm doing something that worthwhile and something towards my career and that's the stuff that I enjoy so I, you know I'm my own boss if I wanted to take two weeks off and travel the world I could I, you know and ask the people around me that try to get me to do that they have to try to talk me into just taking off one day to go do something because I I really don't want to I just want to do this I, I really love doing this so now is that something about like the way you are like as a person yeah like do you find like you, you got to be keeping busy just for whatever reason absolutely I mean like I said I, I'm a New Yorker I grew up I was born and bred in New York and even even being in New York, I rarely went out, man. I, I wasn't part of any scene. So that's why when I finally moved to Detroit years ago, I moved to Detroit uh, eight years ago or so. It was really transitional. I was going to move to LA and then I decided I didn't like LA enough to ever want to move out there. So I stayed here and built my company here and and, and it's much more affordable, but it, it really didn't matter because I don't need to leave. I build my world or the place I like to live in, wherever I am. So mm. I've always, even as a kid, kind of an insular kid. I didn't I didn't hold a lot of friends. I had a few good friends and that's all I ever needed. I wasn't the guy that felt validated by hanging out and going to the club or going to the bar. I didn't care. I really didn't care. I was the guy who was home on a Friday night reading a manual that would put 99.9% .9 of the world to sleep if they tried to yeah. read it because it was so boring. <laughs> but I was so excited because I was learning how to use a piece of gear or a piece of software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I've always liked having sort of a core group of people and I'm sort of a very social guy, but I only... I've always ever had like a core group of friends. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've liked to, I mean, I, I do this show. I like talking to people. I like meeting new people, especially, you know, like-minded people or sure. uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, I've always been, when it comes down to it, I'm pretty much like a homebody. Like I've always been very focused on my... I don't know if it's maybe like a selfish thing, but like I just go and I get in the zone and once I'm in the zone, I just have to finish that thing, even if it's fucking stupid. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think it was a uh, March break or something. I was on holiday with my family. We got back. I got jacked up on caffeine. I don't really do any drugs anymore. You know, <laughs> family man. But for now, caffeine yeah. will literally like if I drink I made myself a mocha, which is like a homemade thing with just fucking a few scoops of instant coffee and chocolate milk. And I was wired for like 24 hours. And I, and I decided I needed to make a homemade case for my PC. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I, like I bought myself a computer just to play old games. Sure. 
just yeah. because uh, some of the other options didn't allow me to do all the retro arcade gaming I want. I'm a huge fan of the N64 and Goldeneye. Okay. So I, I just I had to do this, and then I for the next five hours when I could have been doing any other project. I was literally, like, cutting up foam from different packages and making this homemade <laughs> case that I could right. carry my hard drive around in. And, and you look at it and go, yeah, like, why am I doing this again? And then you just go right back to doing it. You, know, you, you ask the question, like, why am I bothering? And then you just yeah. go, you dive right back in to finish it, right? And there's nothing uh, more hilarious than finishing a pointless project and having it be a failure. But I built this case around this computer, but I built it so tightly because I basically like made this case around this desktop hard drive that by the time it was done, I couldn't actually pull the computer out because I had built it so tightly. Around <laughs> I just like, what the, like the last five hours I could have been editing this show. I could have been making videos. Instead, I was doing this. Yeah. So, sometimes you have to, you have to just see it through. It's just for the sake yeah. of just being like, I have to see if I can do this. You started it. You got to finish it. And I find too, sometimes I never know where the inspiration will take me. I mentioned caffeine because I found when I get like jacked up on it, I will do that in preparation to work. I'll say, fuck, you know, I, Mm-hmm. I've got a show tonight. Yep. I've got to finish editing and stuff like this. I'll take a drink and then it won't take me where I want it to go. It'll take me somewhere else. It'll be like, oh, no, no. Now you're going to write now or you're going to fucking fool around and make some electronic music or something. And it almost like redirects me and I have no control over where that's going to be. And in your case, with so many different projects, I mean, it must be tricky sometimes if you know you have to focus on a thing like what happens if you just know this you know cell dweller thing has to be done but i'm really in a circle of dust headspace right now Uh, it happens all the time and 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 it's a little frustrating you know i just finished a new cell dweller album and it's called off world and i actually did a scandroid cover on this album believe it or not so i did (laughs) i did i did a cover of the song awakening with you because this album is not what people would expect from Cell Dweller. It's an album of feels. It's just very emotional. It's very melancholy. It's very down-tempo. And I wanted to reimagine a few songs in that style, as well as a bunch of new stuff. So I'm doing that, and as I'm getting towards the end, I'm getting more in the mood for, like more aggressive music and I'm kind of going like oh I've got a bunch of new synthesizers and I want to like wire them up and start cranking out some Scandroid and you know like somewhere in between there I got a new synth wired it up had a sound that inspired me Mm -hmm. and in probably two hours plunked out a baseline that I know is going to be a new Scandroid song. So sometimes I have to grab the inspiration, like you said. Sometimes you get taken in a direction, and I have to go there. I just have to know when to go, okay, this is as much as I'm going to do right now because I have to get this other thing done, and I'll come back to this. Right. But at least I've got this down, and I can kind of come back to it later. So I struggle with that a lot. Like, I, I have a very short attention span, so it's like I want to do everything, so I do. I get into a project, and then very quickly, I'm like, oh, but I want to do this too. But like, ah, crap, I've got to finish this first mm-hmm. before I get into that. So I'm always looking towards the next project as I'm trying to wrap the other one up. And that's why I was saying before, my golden time in my life is when I pretty much can walk into my room and go, I can do anything I want today. It's pretty rare. It's it's a very short amount of time that I can actually afford myself the time to do that. But I'm fortunate. I, I can, you know, for the most part, capture inspiration when it comes. Well, that's a good fucking skill to have. <laughs> I find I get too distracted and it's hard for me to to do that. Yeah, it's a discipline. There's no question. I can noodle and waste tons of time. I can. I just want to make music and I want to get it out there. So for me, the drive, like you said, to finish your PC case, let's say, for me, the the drive to finish a project or to finish an album or to finish a song oftentimes overrides my desire to just dick around and just 
you know, make noise and stuff. So I'm like, all right, I want to get this done, then I'll play with that. Right. And then by the time I'm done with that project, I'm actually onto something else. So I kind of trick myself into just getting myself to the next project without wasting a ton of time. No, for sure. Let's uh, listen to another track. Sure. Uh, this is a cool one. This was Connection by Scandroid.
And that was Connection by Scandroid. I'm here with Scandroid right now, Clayton. Now, talking about this, you know, uh, focusing on different projects and, you know, that, that sort of discipline, how tricky is that when you're your own boss, right? Because when you say you've got a timeline or a deadline, if you're the one creating the deadline in the first place, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Like, how, how do you maintain that discipline? Because when I try and do that with myself, I just can't. Because it's almost like I'm too smart to trick myself. <laughs> right. If I know that yeah. I'm the one who set the deadline, I can change the deadline. Yep. So how do you maintain that discipline? There's a few ways. Uh, first of all, I am, I'm a fairly driven individual and I always have been. I've been, when I put my mind to something, like I don't get distracted, like I'm focused. But that being said, I can waste a lot of time trying to perfect something that doesn't even need to be perfected. I could have it taken out of my hands a lot sooner and it would be good. So uh, what I've learned through the process I'm driven enough to finish a project, but it might take longer than it needs to. So by having a good team around me that kind of keeps me responsible, that's part of how I keep myself on a deadline. So my manager, James, who has has been with me for over 10 years now, uh, he started as just a fan of my music and through a long series of events, eventually worked himself in through the door. He cracked the door open, got mm-hmm. in somehow and has become now indispensable to me. And, you know, I've built the company based you know, around him. And so he a lot of times he and I will brainstorm goals and we'll be like, OK, I released an album for, let's say, Cell Dweller here. So on how many months do I want to release, let's say, a Scandroid album or a Circle of Dust or what am I working on or what film projects am I working on or video game projects? Because those may take precedence Mm. so we figure out my schedule we look into the year like i have my whole year planned already this year and i've i just got a call yesterday from another composer about another film project so when those things happen i have to make room i have to wiggle some room in there somehow to kind of fit these things in so what we'll do is we'll set deadlines and when things get close enough like let me give you for instance dreams of neo tokyo the scandroid remix album uh you know i had remixes coming in from all these great remixers and we got to the end and we had already announced this remix album was coming out. So we told the public roughly the date, like, okay, we're about to make an announcement here. So I already knew the public knew this was coming. And every song had been remixed on the album, except one, which was Connection, the song we just listened to. And so I knew in my mind, this was one of those things I was like, crap, I'm like, I can't let that go. So I pulled up the files to Connection and I started my own remix. And (laughs) in a couple of days, I had a finished Connection remix. So that deadline, because we had already told the public it was happening, I knew I was on a limited time. And so that's another way I kind of use the public to keep me responsible because once things go public and I announce it, I'm not a huge fan. Although I have in the past due to circumstances I can't change. Mm. I'm not a big fan of changing that and being like, oh, it's going to come out tomorrow. And then tomorrow, like, well, I was wrong. It's going to come out next week. And the next week, oh, well, it's going to come out two weeks. If I say it, I like it to be because I know it's going to happen. And I learned early on out of enthusiasm, promising too soon. I've learned now that I don't ever say anything unless I know for sure something can be delivered. So there you go. There's a classic example of how I keep myself responsible because I've told the public it's coming and now I'm going, oh man, I have a remix. I want to get a remix in here, but I've only got two weeks to get this done. So I, I got one done in a couple of days, well in advance, got the uh, you know the album mastered and sequenced and off to manufacturing and we're still on schedule. The album comes out on the 30th. So getting into the headspace of these sort of different acts of yours, I mean, there's a track on, on this album called Probot's and Robophobes, which is featuring Circle of Dust. Right. What's going on there? Because I love this sort of like this multiple personality sort of aspect. I mean, you've touched on it before when you, uh, you know, did a, a Scandroid, featuring Scandroid on the Cell Dweller. Right. What's going on in your head when you realize, okay, I'm adding this new thing. This thing is a 
cell dweller state of mind that I'm adding to this track? I mean, like, what what are the different states of mind of each of your projects? Well, th- that's the thing. I think some people think that I'm just jerking myself off, so to speak, by putting all these different project names in my own projects. And it's like, that's not it at all. I don't have to do that at all. I mean, I'm not doing that for any other reason other than those three projects represent something very different to me stylistically. Like, I can't write a a really heavy, like, like metal-based track with tons of noise and screaming in it and call it a Scandroid track because that's not Scandroid. That might be Circle of Dust. Mm. You know, so Circle of Dust to me is the industrial thing, the old kind of programming and that kind of those heavy basses and guitars and distorted vocals. And Cell Dweller is the cleaner, more modern production. And Scandroid is the 80s kind of synth-based new wave sound. I've even changed the way I sing, my, the way my voice sounds for Scandroid. When I was doing the Scandroid album, I had pulled up a bunch of these old samples from my early Circle of Dust albums because... Without getting into the whole story, Circle of Dust was not an active project for over 20 years. And only in the last two years, I actually was able to go back and finally buy the rights back to my first five albums that I ever made as Circle of Dust. So knowing that I actually was getting those albums back got me excited about producing as Circle of Dust. I kind of forgot what I even did. So while I was working on Scandroid, I was in, it was one of those cases where I was like, I was really inspired to do something as Circle of Dust. And I'm like, you know what? Those are closely enough related because they were both kind of around in the 80s that I can infuse enough of Circle of Dust into this song. If you listen to that song on the Scandroid album, it is a much heavier track than any other song on the album. It's darker, the drums are bigger and more distorted, and there are like kind of noise samples panning back and forth, which was indicative of the sound of Circle of Dust, where you don't hear that sound pretty much anywhere else on the Scandroid album. So that's why it makes sense to me to say, this is a Scandroid track featuring Circle of Dust. How do your fans react if they're fans of like one of your projects? Do you you find that there's crossover? Yeah, um, I I do. I mean, the the good news is that I have a pretty big base of people that just, I'm fortunate, they just love whatever I do. I'm fortunate that I have fans that go, we don't care what you make, we just want you to keep making. So they're fans of Cell Dweller, they're fans of Circle, they're fans of Scandroid. And even, you know, some of the stuff I do for film TV, I I scored the most recent season of Killer Instinct, the video game, but from Microsoft with my friend Tom Salta. And, you know, the the soundtrack is out. You can listen to the the score, the soundtrack. It's out on iTunes and Spotify and anywhere you get music. And it's like another extension of kind of what I do as Cell Dweller. So your soundtrack, are you taking, like cues from the old game in terms of like the tunes or are you guys just making stuff up from scratch some of these characters are brand new so we're giving them their voice and some of them are resurrected so kim Wu, if you remember kim Wu from back then there are a number of legacy characters that have actually come back and we actually based if you listen to kim Wu's theme which is the dragon spirit i forgot the name of the, the actual name of the track that we ended up giving it but it's mm. something about the dragon spirit in the soundtrack you'll hear kim Wu's original theme it's redone yeah and there's a a lot of new content in there, but you'll hear the spirit of the, the original Kim Wu track from the arcade game in the 90s in there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think my favorite back in the day was Glacius. Oh, yeah, Glacius, yeah. That was like one of the first video game soundtracks I remember being a thing you could get. Yeah. When you got like the Super Nintendo version of that game, I recall, or maybe it was the N64, it actually like 
came with a CD that had like the soundtrack on it. I remember like that was such a cool thing. And that was why it was exciting to be part of that franchise because there's always been a more specific emphasis on the score, on the music for that game than yeah. just your... It's not just a game that like, oh, well, there's music going on in the background. It's like mm-hmm. the music a lot of times drove that game. So it was cool to be part of that legacy. So in that case, in that particular example, if you are, say, resurrecting some kind of old themes, did you have access to the old sheet music or old files or was it just sort of like by ear? A combination of both, yep. We had access to the old files and and we pretty much did everything else by ear. Yep. Well, that's fucking cool. Yeah, it's fun. That's a cool project. How do do you even get involved with those sorts of things? I've been uh, involved in film, TV, and video game stuff. Like, I did the theme song for Dead Rising 2, uh, which I think is on Xbox and PlayStation. I'm not really sure, but it's the zombie game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ironically, yeah, with Ogre from Skinny Puppy, he he did vocals on the track that I did. So, I'm in season, I'm I'm in Dead Rising 2 and Dead Rising 3, and my friend Tom does, I mean, he scored the Halo franchise. He's he's got quite a list of credits. That's what he does. He's a game scorer, and he got asked to do that game. And he's like, hey, this franchise needs a rock star. So let me ask my friend Clayton, which he did. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. So I brought the artist side of things to it. And he has the game score side of it. And man, we just we're a really good fit for that whole franchise. So then in in terms of those things, were you doing, you know, obviously doing a score for a video game is a very different thing when you're doing like cues that have to pop up at certain times. It's not necessarily just straight pieces of music, right? It's very, it's much, much different. Yeah, you're writing in little chunks because games are dynamic. So if you're stuck on a level or in a spot on a level for a certain amount of time, those pieces of music you're creating may just keep looping dynamically and changing. And then when you get out of that, then the music changes, you know, as if you just played a linear track and it just looped over and over again, you'd start feeling how boring that would be. So mm-hmm. yeah, writing for a game is is a lot different than just writing a track for sure. Well, listen, we'll listen to like one more track and then maybe we'll fucking... Sure wrap this up but uh this is a cool song this was called singularity i dug this one it's got some like orchestral shit going on which uh, is exciting uh so this is singularity by scandroid
And that was Singularity by Scandroid. And I'm here with Scandroid right now, Clayton. So uh, it was good to chat with you. Yes, great. I appreciate you having me on. So like, what's uh, what does the future hold, man? Obviously, Scandroid is a relatively new project. So it's actually three years. I mean, I've, I've been putting music out for over three years as Scandroid, but the full album actually only came out in November and, and it already has over a million streams on, on YouTube. So somebody's listening to it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I think uh, I became aware of it because I believe there was a marketing push at some point because I do recall seeing like, oh, like this Facebook is telling me about the Scandroid album. Yeah, yep, when the album came out. Yep, right, yep. yeah, yeah. I already have a new single called Rendezvous, which is out, it's an exclusive, there's an exclusive version of that on the vinyl, the Scandroid vinyl, limited edition, and half of them are already gone, I was told this morning. So they're already halfway gone. I don't know <laughs> well, if there'll be any left. They're, they're, they're probably all gone now. They may be, <laughs> but the, the Scandroid vinyl, so there's, there's an exclusive song of, a mix of the song Rendezvous which is a brand new track on there and that single another version of that single will be released in about a month and then um, I already have a few tracks in the works towards a new Scandroid album that I'm hoping to release this fall I'm hoping to have a new Scandroid album this fall okay cool who does the art I have an amazing artist in Ukraine and she found me I didn't find her she just started sending me art and I couldn't believe that this girl in, in, in the Ukraine was doing this stuff. And long story short, over a period of some time, I ended up just saying, look, you need to you need to work for me. So I hired her. She's on my payroll and she does all my art, my clothing line. She does all those designs, all of the Cell Dweller artwork, the Scandroid artwork, the Circle of Dust artwork, pretty much anything art related that I do comes from from her. And I noticed as well sort of different variations of almost like caricatures of the way you actually look. Right. Yep. You do you have sort of a look going on? Is that difficult to maintain? Uh, not really. It's just this is who I've always been. So I didn't one day go, oh my God, I need an image. This is just, <laughs> this is how I was. If I was working at McDonald's and they let me look like this, this is exactly what I would look like. So yeah. it's it's not something contrived. It's just that my fan base, for whatever reason, has really adopted, you know, they've got tattoos of it and there's a ton of fan art and there's lots of stuff related to the way I look. So I just felt like since these are alter egos of myself musically, Let's do alter egos of myself as far as the characters that are the band members of these bands. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the direction I took it. I would just find it very hard to maintain. Like, I, uh, I'm i not an old man, necessarily. I'm about, like, 35, but I, my hair is just going gray, and I've been dyeing it up until this point, and I stopped <laughs> because sometimes, you know, you got to do what your hair wants it to do. Yeah. And I just remember just the work that would go in, I would always, like, fuck it up because I would never go get it professionally done. So then I'd always get all these weird fucking ink, ink, you know, like, just paint on my head almost, <laughs> you know, and I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's maintenance for sure. It's all just, you know. Thankfully I have good people that take care of that too. If I had to do it myself, man, I'd be I'd be in your boat. I'd be like, forget it, man. Let let nature have its way. I give up. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Well, listen, it was uh, it was fun talking to you. Yeah, same here, man. I appreciate you having me on, and I hope your fans enjoyed the uh, the chat and the music. And there's lots more coming. Yeah, it's a cool thing, man. I dig. Uh, you know, there's a spectrum of people. You know, when they do synth wave, and some of it's very sort of uh, lo-fi. And uh, I, I do like when a nicely produced thing comes along because for me, I'm always just a, a big fan of synths. I like any music that always has that sort of like electronic element, mm-hmm. and uh, you know when it sounds good, that's uh, that's good too. It's a plus, yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's just a nice thing, and the album's cool, and the remix one's cool, and by the time this interview's out, there's going to be a whole bunch of other things, and hopefully that competition's still going on. And lots of stuff in store. Yeah, that's awesome. So I look forward to uh, listening to more Scandroid in the fucking 
coming year. Yep, it's coming, man. Stay tuned. Cool. All right, man. Well, well thanks for taking your time. Yeah, no problem, dude. Yeah, have a lovely uh, Detroit day. Yeah, do my best. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you the same in Toronto there. All right, take care, man. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. And that was Scandroid. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Clayton's a good dude, and uh, I don't know if he's like hopped up on crazy energy-boosting drugs, but I have no idea how he does all the stuff that he does. <laughs> Literally, like, he's just, like, posting videos all the time, and he's got, like, three bands. I mean, the guy's crazy. Anyways, we gotta go. The show's over now. But I have some download codes for Wojciech Golchewski's latest album, The Signal. And I've played some tracks from it. I think I played it a few weeks ago when I uh, finally announced how to pronounce his name properly. And I've got some download codes. So if you want a copy of Wojciech's last album, which is cool, it's got some uh, cinematic synth vibes to it, just send me a message on the Beyond Synth Facebook page and just say, I would like a copy of that album. I think I've got like seven codes left or maybe five. If you're uh, one of those people who uh, message is me first, you can get a copy of the album. That's Wojciech Golchewski's The Signal, and I'll play a track from that as we go to close. And I should point out that today is indeed April the 20th, or 420, which was a very weird day to decide to abbreviate the Patreon, as uh, listener Lou Rinaldi pointed out to me. He said, what are you going to do for Chris Schmokel? Because, of course, he donates 420 a month. And today was the day I decided that I was only going to acknowledge the $5 donors and up. And so when he said, what are you going to do for Chris? I said, um, not mention his name, <laughs> I guess. I didn't even think about it because uh, 420 isn't one of those things that's really on my radar, even though I'm uh, always smoking the ganja. But uh, the point is this. Happy 420, Chris Schmokel, and uh, I hope you have a lovely day if you are indeed listening right now. But of course, when this show goes on SoundCloud, it will no longer be 420, and that will be uh, pointless. But we all like pointless things sometimes. Anyways, guys, thank you very much for listening to Beyond Synth. We'll end on a track from Wojciech's album. This is kind of a retro chip y kind of uh, vibe. This is Command 64 off the album The Signal by Wojciech Olszewski, and I will talk to you guys next time on Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. (laughs) 